What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the 13 Realms. We have two more chapters for you today, and we have an outstanding guest, Copper from the Discord. That's right, Ethan Ryder. We're going to be talking about the community. We're going to talk about what the vision is for the kingdom going forward. And we have a very special drop that's coming up very soon. Let's get right to it. Chapter 9 Into the Valley of Goats The small cave where Grog and his companions spent the night had been used as a shelter by members of the Mountain Battalion on many occasions. Most of the uncomfortable rocks had been removed from the floor, and there was even a table and chairs made from whittled pine where the party ate a meager dinner of bread, dried pork, and cheese. But despite the fact that Grug was able to lay out his canvas swag and woolen blanket on flat, dry earth, and had been given a small flask of whiskey by Major Hammerbuckle that he took to bed with him, he was still unable to sleep. It wasn't the sound of the watchtower horn that kept him awake this time. In effect, it was the absence of it. It was possible that they were just too far away to hear it, However, Grog suspected that the sound had stopped because the dwarves and Kavina on the watchtower had once again been overwhelmed by the horrible, vengeful dwarves and their undead minions. Either way, the only sounds Grog had to keep him company as he lay in the thick darkness of the cave were the ringing of his own ears and the screams and cries of panic and pain, which had echoed in his mind every night since the Battle of Algon's Pass more than a year ago. He imagined what might have happened in Longdale, where Broughton was organizing the defense of the town. He imagined scores of grotesque undead hurling themselves against the doors of the Hall of Legends, while little Gretchen cowered inside, clinging to her grandfather. He imagined all the wonderful towns and taverns he'd visited across the Thirteen Realms during his time in the army. All under attack. All burning. All desperately needing help to come charging down from the mountain tops. Maurog. Crodus's deep voice and an accompanying nudge from the toe of his boot brought Grog back to consciousness. Grog looked up. Crawdis was standing over him. He was already dressed for travel, with his light blue cape wrapped around his shoulders and his amber eyes glowing faintly from beneath the rim of his gold helmet. I've made breakfast, Crawdis said, before turning away and making for the mouth of the cave, where dawn light was painting the walls a pale grey. Grug sat up, rubbed the sleep out of his eyes, and sniffed. The smell of smoke and fried eggs was wafting into the cave, and Grug wasted no time in disentangling himself from his blankets and seeking out the source of the smell. Tarion and the dwarf in titanium chainmail, who'd finally introduced himself to Grug the previous evening as Orofam Warbraids, were sitting on rocks next to a crackling campfire. Crawdis was crouched down, scraping eggs off an iron skillet and onto some enamel plates. Major Hammerbuckle was standing on a boulder nearby, silhouetted against the rising sun and looking north towards the mountain summit. And here he is, everybody, Tyrion said, an open hand pointed towards Grog. The loudest snoring dwarf in all the Thirteen Realms. I can't have been snoring that much, Grog protested. I hardly slept a wink. Oh, you got a wink or two? Tyrion assured him. I was on last watch this morning, and it was like there was a dire bear choking to death in the cave. Sorry, Grug said with a sheepish shrug. Not much I can do about it, really. How's your head? Crawdis asked as he passed Grug a plate of fried bread and eggs. Sure, 
Grug gingerly touched a finger to his cranium. But on the mend. Thanks for breakfast. Crodis gave Grog a stiff nod and handed a plate to Orofem. You see any sign of anything down there? Grog asked Orofem as he sat down next to him. Orofem, who'd been squinting back towards Longdale, shook his head. Te dark, te meste, cannot say a thing. Grog took a bite of his egg-covered bread and let out a little grunt of satisfaction. Oh, Crodis, what did you put on this? Just some dried herbs and salt. Is it all right? Fucking delicious, Grug said, taking another huge bite and wiping yolk from his bushy black moustache. You know you just damned yourself to be cook for the rest of this quest, don't you? Orofim said, licking his fingertips. That's all right, Crodis said. I like cooking. You can wash the dishes. Orofem looked like he was about to reject this proposal, but at that moment, Major Hammerbuckle came striding out of the gloom. Grog, I want to talk to you about the route you said we should take. Hmm? <laughs> Grog mumbled, his mouth completely full of egg and bread. The Major held up a map he'd taken from the Burgomaster's library. He'd made Grog look at it with him by moonlight before they'd attempted to sleep. Now he was shaking it in Grog's direction and looking even more angry than usual. The way I see it, the Major said, stepping around the fire and squatting down next to Grog. If we head northwest along this valley, he stabbed the map with a calloused finger, then travel directly north across the tundra of Realm 13. That's the quickest way to get to Mount Valkane. It's the shortest distance, Grug said, but it's not a good idea. Major Hammerbuckle's eyes narrowed, the black-striped war paint across his cheekbones creasing. Why not? Because it's rough terrain? Because it's cold? I'm not scared of a few hills and a little snow, and I'm sure no one else is here. Except maybe you, Mao Grug. Maybe you just want to go east and take the long way around because it's easier. No. Grog wiped his greasy fingers on his grey woolen shirt and reached for the map. It's because the only way to get into Realm 13 from here, unless you want to climb right over the top of this mountain range, is through this valley and... That's what I said! Major Hammerbuckle snatched the map back. We go through this valley, then it's a clear run north. Grog mopped up some yolk with his last piece of bread, popped it in his mouth, and chewed slowly while the Major fumed. No, Major, he said eventually. What happens if we go that way is we enter the valley. Then we get attacked by mountain trolls. Then we all get eaten. Then no one ever reaches Mount Velkin, and the Faithbound never even hear about our troubles. Mountain trolls? Major Hammerbuckle's voice was thick with scepticism. Did the great goat herds use that valley to migrate north into Realm 13 in the spring? Grug explained. They go to eat the grasses coming up beneath the snowmelt, and the trolls come down from the high mountains to eat the goats. And you think we can't handle a few trolls? The Major asked. It'll save us days, maybe weeks. Grug shrugged. It might, or we might end up as troll shite. Have you ever seen a mountain troll? They're at least three times taller than a dwarf. If there's a chance to make this journey significantly shorter, the Major said, folding the map and stowing it away beneath his mustard cape. And the only thing standing in our way is a few mangy trolls. Then we're going that way. Grug knew there was no point in arguing. Fine, he said, standing up and dusting the crumbs off his night pants. Now, nobody come in the cave for a minute. I need to try and squeeze into the skinny bastard's clothes again. He inclined his head towards Crodis. That's not something anyone needs to witness. A short while later, 
the party was traveling northwest across the face of the mountain. Major Hammerbuckle was leading the way and setting a cracking pace. Grog was bringing up the rear, smoking a pipe as he walked, and stopping every thirty or forty paces to adjust Crodus's leather breeches, which kept uncomfortably riding up around his groin and buttocks. Grog had sensibly packed the pipe with a mixture of Nissen weed and a regular short-belly leaf. It was going to take the edge off his various aches and pains, but he wasn't hallucinating or craving honey-nut pastries. The sun at Grog's back had only just emerged from beneath the dark blanket of the world, and, as they began descending into the valley, the air was becoming thick with morning mist. Grog tripped and stumbled in the feeble light, but he wasn't the only one. Orifem, Terrian, and Major Hammerbuckle all took turns at swearing and roaring as they stubbed their toes or turned their ankles. Only Crodus seemed immune to any mishaps, and Grog began to suspect that the quiet dwarf's fiery eyes allowed him to see in the dark. It wasn't until after the sun had passed overhead and they reached the valley floor that the Major allowed the party to stop for a rest. Sweat was dripping from the end of Grog's bulbous nose, and Nissenweed, or no Nissenweed, he was still suffering from a rotten headache, a throbbing buttock, and some rather nasty chafing of the inner thighs. But he didn't complain. He just flopped down on a patch of clover and began digging around in his backpack for his flask of whiskey. Are you sure you wouldn't be better off with just some water? Crodis asked after Grog had found his flask and taken several burning gulps. Grog looked around at the others. Orifem and the Major were drinking greedily from large leather water skins, the water trickling down their beards in glittering droplets. Terrian was taking delicate sips, being careful not to smear the grey and white layers of paint which intersected at her chin. Well, maybe just a mouthful, Grog said, unclipping his own water skin from his backpack. I always used to lecture my troops about keeping their water up on long marches. Stop the buggers from fainting. He drank. Better than ale, yes? Crodis suggested. Better than... Better than... Grog's words temporarily failed him. This! Grog held up the water skin. You think this lukewarm, goat-leather-tasting piss is better than a cold, foamy tankard of delicious ale? Better for you, at least. Aye. Grog pressed the wooden stopper back into the mouth of his water skin. And they say walking's good for you too. And yet here I am, feeling like someone's poured acid down the insides of my bloody legs. No time for wine and mow, Grog, Major Hammerbuckle said, shouldering his peck. Let's keep going. Grog swallowed his anger and stood up, stifling a groan of pain. Maybe we could ride some of these. He looked past the Major to the steady stream of large goats that was making their way west along the valley floor. That way the trolls can get their dinner and dessert all in one go. The Major followed Grog's gaze. Oh, yes, for trolls. And, uh, where exactly might these monsters be hiding? There's no caves, hardly any trees, no place to hide at all, really. It just looks like lovely grass all the way from here to Realm 13. I really hope you're right, Grug said. I haven't been this way in a while. Maybe there won't be thralls. He shared a lame smile with the rest of the party, and was slightly bewildered to see a definite look of disappointment crumple Terrian's face. But there probably will be, he added. Terrian's mismatched eyes lit up. This was one strange kavina. The attack came at sunset, which was the worst possible time of day, for three enormous trolls to come lumbering up the valley from the west. The sun was shining directly into Grog's eyes, so the shapes of the trolls were nothing more than dark smudges in the distance at first. 
But the thunderous roars and snarls, which echoed progressively louder off the rocky walls of the valley, made it clear that the trolls weren't out for a casual evening stroll. Ah, they've smelled us, Grug said, shrugging off his peck and sliding his two short swords out of their sheaths. Fuck, Major Hammerbuckle growled as he dumped his own pack onto the grass and began unclipping his two-headed battle-axe from its side. Come on, Ben Grug, say it. Say I told you so. There'll be time for that after, Grug said loudly, then muttered under his breath. If we survive, you stupid bastard. Any way out of this other than a fight? Crodus asked, looking back at Grug. Not really, pal. Grug made a show of looking at their surroundings. The valley was wide and open, with a gushing stream cutting through the middle of it. There were scattered trees and some fairly sizable boulders around, but there'd be no hiding from the keen noses of the trolls, and certainly no outrunning their long, knobble-kneed legs. I'm afraid that's us or them. It's gonna be them! Orifam bellowed as he clambered onto a boulder with a hefty axe in his hand. Crodis sighed and unslung the two hatchets that he kept strapped to his backpack. The trolls were closing fast. They were close enough already for Grog to see the mottled grey skin of their legs and torsos and their dismally inadequate goat-hide loincloths flapping around their dangling nether region. Terrian undid the clasp of her garnet-coloured cape. She unhurriedly folded it and placed it on top of her backpack. Spread out a bit, Major Hammerbuckle shouted, advancing towards the trolls. Try and flank them. The tall, lanky beasts were fifty paces away. One was carrying a club that was little more than a stripped tree branch. Another had no weapons, apart from its long, sinewy arms and mouthful of jagged teeth. The third was brandishing what could only be described as half a dead goat. Terrian pulled a lethal-looking chain mace from her backpack. The solid steel ball, which dropped by her side as she stood up, was studded with large spikes. She began running towards the trolls. The battle cries of the attacking monsters reached a climax as they bore down on Major Hammerbuckle. The leading troll raised the club over his head. Grug squeezed the grips of his short swords and followed Terrian. Then there was nothing but blurred movement, roaring, shouting, swinging weapons, and the pounding of Grog's heart. Major Hammerbuckle threw himself forwards as the club descended. He avoided the crushing blow and came out of his roll with his axe swinging. It sliced across the lead troll's thigh. The creature screamed in pain and buckled to its knees. Grug had time to think, a good start, as the mustard-caped major drew back his axe, ready to take the head off the now-kneeling troll. But then, half a goat slammed into the major, sending him sprawling to the ground. The troll holding the dead goat by one of its horns lifted a massive foot, ready to stomp the prone dwarf into oblivion. Instead, it suddenly staggered backwards, its yellow eyes wide with surprise, as a hatchet thudded into its gut. The Grug vaguely registered that this weapon must have been thrown by Crodis, but didn't have time to congratulate his companion, as the unarmed troll had picked up a rock that was half the size of a dwarf and was preparing to hurl it. Grug altered course, making for the cover of the large boulder that Orifem had been standing on. He hadn't seen where the titanium-clad warrior had gone, but he could hear him shouting. The troll heaved the rock, not at Grog, who was preparing to dive behind the boulder, but at Terrian, who was closing within striking distance. She did not break stride, but merely leaned her head slightly to one side. The rock hurtled over her left shoulder, missing her by a finger's width and ploughing harmlessly into the ground. Then she attacked, and Grog saw at once why this Kavina had been painted with the markings of an ultimate warrior. 
He understood why she'd attained a rank that was granted to only a handful of dwarves in Kavina every generation. She moved with the speed of a cat, the ferocity of a rabid cave demon, and the precision of a royal surgeon. Her mace was a devastating blur, which whipped down and pulverized the toes of the unarmed troll, then flicked up to crack it under its chin as it reached for her. As the troll reeled back, hopping and clutching its shattered bloody chin with both hands, Terrian swung her mace at its non-injured leg and tore away its kneecap. The troll toppled like a felled tree. Terrian spun out of the way, then jumped onto the back of the stricken creature, already whirling her mace over her head, building up speed and power as she prepared to finish the job. She's got him, Grug thought. I'm just standing here like an idiot. Realizing that he'd been watching Terrian transfixed for more than a few precious seconds, Grug shifted his attention to the other combatants and saw that the rest of his party wasn't faring quite so well. Orifem was lying unmoving in the grass in front of the goat-wielding troll, who was still holding the goat in one hand, but was clutching at a gruesome wound in its side with the other. Black blood was spurting from beneath its fingers. Major Hammerbuckle had regained his feet, but was staggering backwards, away from the troll whose legs he'd sliced open. He held his great battle-axe awkwardly in his left hand. His right arm dangled uselessly by his side. The troll was limping after him, raising its club. Grog leaped towards the troll, the flash of a gold helmet in a corner of his eye, and a deep dwarvish bellow told him that Crodus was beside him. The two dwarves attacked together. The troll changed the angle of its club and swept it sideways in a wide arc, trying to take out both of them in a single blow. Crodus dropped, and the club whooshed over him. Grog considered flattening himself on the ground, but decided that he might not be able to get quite flat enough. His next idea was to leap backwards, but there was no way he was going to change direction in time. These thoughts whizzed through his mind in less than an instant. Unfortunately for Grog, less than an instant was all the time the troll needed to smack him fair on the ribs with its tree branch. He flew sideways, crashing to the ground, and coming to rest next to the senseless body of Orifem. Every particle of breath had been knocked from Grog's body, and pain blazed like fire through his torso. But, thanks to Blade Blunter, he was alive, and miraculously still held hold of one of the short swords. He rolled onto his back in time to see the goat-wielding troll lifting something from the grass. It was Orifem's battle-axe, the blade was slicked with black blood, and it was also being raised directly over Grog and Orifem. This time, Grog didn't hesitate. He lunged and stabbed upwards with his sword, right into the dangling and woefully unprotected genitals of the unfortunate troll. Hot blood and possibly other fluids washed over Grog's forearm. The troll dropped both goat and axe and staggered backwards, its ear-splitting screams filling the valley. Grog flicked the worst of the gunk off his arm and turned back towards the troll with the club. It was bearing down on Crodis, who was doing his best to dodge, duck, and generally avoid the wild swipes of the giant club. Major Hammerbuckle was leaning against the boulder just behind Crodis. He dropped his axe, and was pressing his mustard-colored cloak against the bicep of his right arm. Grug had time to register the dark stain spreading across the cloak, before a roar from the last troll grabbed his attention. The creature was on its knees. Terrian stood behind it with a bloody dagger in one hand, and her fearsome mace whirling in the other. Grug closed his eyes just before the mace made contact with the side of the troll's head, the wet crunch he heard an instant later was all the sensory information he needed to know that Terrian's blow had landed. He made the mistake of opening his eyes in time to see Terrian making sure of her kill by bringing her mace down again and again on the back of the prone creature's cranium, spattering bits of skull and brain across the grass. 
The other troll that Terrian had engaged was in a similar state of unquestionable deadness. The troll that Grog had so mercilessly stabbed in the gonads, however, was still very much alive. It was curled in a fetal position, howling pitifully. For the love of all that's holy, Crotis shouted, put us out of its misery. Grog hesitated. Terrian didn't. She jumped off the back of the dead troll and headed for its tortured comrade. As he watched her go, Grog was greatly relieved to see Orifem sitting up, clutching his head, but apparently not mortally wounded. Oh no. Major! The trembling quiver in Crodus's deep voice sent a shiver of fear creeping across Grog's shoulders. He turned his head slowly, not wanting to see what had rattled the amber-eyed warrior so badly, but suspecting that he already knew. Major Hammerbuckle had now slumped to the ground. His head and shoulder were resting against the boulder. His left hand was still pressed against his right bicep. His eyes were drooping shut. He was completely soaked in blood. Break your artery, Crotus, Crotus said, dropping his hatchet and squatting down beside the major. Fuck! He began unclasping his blue cape. We need a tourniquet. Leave it, Major Hammerbuckle said, his voice a husky gasp. Let me go. Crotus pressed his palms against his forehead, and Grog was surprised to see tears streaming down the face of the stern and stalwart dwarf. Grog knelt down in front of the Major. He'd seen injuries like this before, and knew the Major was right. It was too late. This dwarf's life was soaked into his clothes, smeared across the boulder, and pooling on the grassy earth in the golden rays of sunset. Last requests? Grog asked, keeping his words as quick and simple as possible. Give all my stuff to my sister, except this. The Major tapped a blood-covered thumb against the obsidian gem on his cloak. This goes to my uncle Dagiv. Grug nodded. We will. The screaming of the final trolls stopped, and the valley was plunged into an abrupt and tranquil silence. And the Major's eyes rolled in their sockets, and his head flopped onto his chest. When his voice was a slurred whisper. Fucking win. We will, Grug said, as the Major's body sagged lifeless and still against the blood-drenched stone. We will. Chapter 10 Getting Along they buried Major Hammerbuckle under a willow tree, close to the small stream which ran through the center of the valley. Crodis insisted on building a small cairn to mark the site, but Grog only managed to gather a few stones before needing to sit down and smoke a packed pipeful of Neeson weed. His torso was bruised purple from his left armpit down to his hip, and every movement caused him pain. When night fell, they rolled out their swags and slept beneath the stars. Or at least, Orifim slept. Grog dozed on and off, but was too sore, miserable, and worried about trolls to properly fall asleep. Crodis continued working on the cairn by moonlight. Once he was satisfied with his work, he sat in front of the pile of stones, murmuring low and quiet to himself or to the gods. Terrian sat on a boulder, keeping watch all night with her fearsome mace by her side. By the time the sun's light began spilling into the valley, Crodis had already lit a fire, extracted some eggs from deep within some soft fabric wrappings, and had begun cooking breakfast. So, what do we do now? Orifim asked, wincing as he lowered himself slowly down by the fire. 
A troll had hammered its fist into the top of his head after Orifam had sunk an axe into its side. The titanium-clad dwarf was suffering from the kind of headache that Grog was only too familiar with, but seemed to have suffered no permanent damage. Grog stared down at his plate and waited for Crodis Oterian to answer Orifam's question. But nobody spoke. When Grog looked up, he saw that all three of them were looking expectantly at him. What? Grug asked. You're the heroes of this mission. I'm just... You are our guide, Tyrion said. Yeah, well, I've done a fucking bang-up job of that so far, haven't I? Grug said, glancing sideways at Major Hammerbuckle's can. That wasn't your fault, Tyrion said. Hammerbuckle insisted on coming this way. We all heard it. It is best not to speak ill of the dead. Crodis said, without looking up from his frying pan. Tarion glared down at Crodis. I'm not speaking ill of him, I'm just stating a fact. Speaking ill of him would be saying that he was a stupid, stubborn fool who should have listened to Grug. Crodis looked up at Tarion, his amber eyes blazing. And now he lies dead in the cold earth. Is that not punishment enough for his folly? Must he also be insulted? And ridiculed. He's dead, Crodis, Tyrion said. I don't think he's going to give a shit what I see. Well, I do, Crodis said, his voice rumbling in his chest like distant thunder. Crodis, Grog interjected, desperate to slice into the tension building between the two warriors. Your eggs are burning, brother. Crodis lowered his eyes to attend to his frying pan. And fine, Grug continued. If you want me to guide you, I'll guide you. So, which way do we go? Orifim asked. All the way back along the valley, back over the spine of the mountain and into Realm 6, the way you wanted to go? Grug considered. He looked northwest, the direction they'd been travelling, and he looked back to the southeast. I say from here, our best bet is to keep going. It really will be at least a week longer if we go back now. But what about the trolls? Orifim asked, his eyes darting to the recently erected cairn. There's only four of us now, and neither you or I are in the best fight in shape. Grug ran his hand over the place where the black iron rings of Blade Blunter covered his bruised ribs. No, I'm definitely not. But by my reckoning, we're not much more than ten miles from the mouth of this valley. A troll can smell you from about five miles off. So, if there was any of the buggers nearby, we'd know about it. That leaves just the final five miles of valley where there might be trolls. You can get plenty killed in five miles, Orifim said. The grug took his plate of fried bread and eggs from Crodis with a nod of thanks and went back to staring northwest. Aye, you can. Well, something's different this year. He bit into a slice of bread and chewed pensively. Normally, there'd be troll shit all up and down this valley this time of year. He shook his head. I don't know why, but they're just not here this year, apart from them. He jerked a thumb back towards the corpses of the three trolls, which lay some distance behind them. So, you think it's safe to make for Realm 13? Orifim asked. Well, I never said it was safe. Grog said. I just said I thought it was probably our best option. For all I know, there's forty bloody trolls waiting for us just up ahead. But then again, now I've seen this one in action. He pointed a piece of toast at Terrian. I'm not quite as worried as I was before. Don't you go counting on me to save your fat arse, Terrian said with a faint smile. I'm just a humble Kavina. You're the living reincarnation of Sigilda the Slayer, that's what you are. Grug said, Where did you learn to fight like that? All the mirth drained from Terrian's mismatched eyes, and Grog suddenly found swallowing his mouthful of toast very difficult. Let's just say I started young, she said, then turned her attention to her own plate. The weather was fine, and the grassy valley floor sloped gently downwards as they made their way northwest but progress was still extremely slow. 
Grog and Orofen had shared a pipeful of weed before they'd set out. But even with the weed numbing their pain, Grog still walked slow and stiff, and Orofen was moving like a veritable frost slug. He trailed behind, stopping at intervals to closely inspect various rocks, trees, or wildflowers. Grog suspected that the titanium warrior had little experience with the wonderfully medicinal, but also mildly psychedelic, herb, and was experiencing rather too much of the wonders of nature than was appropriate for a realm-saving mission. He shouldn't have smoked so much, Crodis grumbled, as he, Grog, and Terrian sat eating a meager lunch and watched Orofen meander up the valley behind them. He's slowing us down. Well, he was thumped right on the noggin by a troll yesterday, Grug said, pinching a rogue cheese crumb out of his beard and popping it in his mouth. He's doing well to be moving at all, to be honest. At least he made it, Crodis said, his eyes downcast. Grug shot a look at Terrian. Whilst naturally upset and unsettled by the death of Major Hammerbuckle, Grog wasn't in the depths of despair like Crodus seemed to be. Did you know him well? Grog asked. The Major. I met him three days ago, Crodus said, during the attack on Longdale. Oh, so you didn't really... Grog had no idea what the right thing to say was, so he decided to give his undivided attention to the hunk of cheese in his hand. Hey, was a good, brave dwarf, Terrian said, clearly not suffering from the same awkwardness as Grug, but pig-headed and inflexible, like so many of the higher-ranking military types. You're a military type, Crodus growled, and I thought I asked you not to speak ill of the dead. You did, Terrian replied her voice as cool as a glacier. But you asking for a thing doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it. Grug saw Crodus's shoulders stiffen, and his right hand clinched tightly around the handle of his frying pan. In terms of me being a military type, though, Terrian continued, seeming not to notice Crodus's mounting anger. I exist outside the rank and file. I'm no officer. I'm not like a major or ancient ones forbid. A general? She raised an eyebrow at Grug. I'm just a... She looked skywards as she searched for the words. A weapon, Crodis said, his voice a low rumble. A killer. Aye, yes. Terrian nodded, seemingly satisfied with the suggestion. Something like that. Hey, Orofum's here, Grug said, trying lamely for the second time that day to hack his way through a solid block of tension. How you feeling, pal? How's the head? Oh, it's light as a dandelion, said. Orofum said. Oh, and I see we're having lunch. He took the five fastest steps he'd taken all day as he rushed towards the bread, cheese, and dried meat. By mid-afternoon, Grog and his travelling companions were clambering down the steep slope, which led from the mouth of the valley to the vast, frost-covered plains of Realm Thirteen. The stream, which had accompanied them on their journey, crashed down rocky rapids and spilled over numerous waterfalls as it hurried on its way to join the wide, shimmering waters of the northern Oglin River. Scores of sure-footed goats trotted past them as they descended, but despite this glut of fresh meat, they saw no further signs of trolls. Grug knew he should have been nothing but pleased about this fact. But there was something troubling about the almost complete lack of the giant beasts in the mountain pass. There were worse things for mountain trolls to be doing than skulking around in remote valleys and eating goats. And Grog wasn't looking forward to finding out exactly what those things might be. Despite the fact that Grog had made the descent into Realm 13 numerous times during his time in the Northern Mountain Battalion, he still managed to be shocked by how much colder the air became as they reached the base of the mountains and set out across the tundra. 
No living dwarf knew what kind of lands existed in the northwest of the great mountain ranges, which encircled the Thirteen Realms. But both wise dwarves and stupid ones all agreed that those lands must be absolutely fucking freezing. The wind that blasted and howled through every crack, crevice, valley, and pass to the north of Realm Thirteen were enough to snap a dwarf's beard in half and make his balls flee in terror for the warmth of his lower abdomen. Can we stop for a minute? Orifim called from behind Grog after they'd been slogging their way through mud and melting snow for an hour. I think I'm ready for another one of those pipes of yours, Grog. Grog felt like giving Orifim a hug. His ribs had been hurting for quite some time, but he'd feared that if he'd broken out the Neeson weed and shared it with Orifim, he would have faced the steely disapproval of Crawdis, and maybe even Tarion as well. A pain in the side was preferable to the combined glares of both amber and mismatched blue and green eyes alike. Grug had been taking sneaky sips from his whiskey flask, but that had done little to numb the ache, although it had beaten back the cold somewhat. We will be sleeping before too long. Crodis said. Can't you tough it out a little longer? Ancient ones, Crodis, don't be cruel, Orifin said, rubbing the back of his neck and wincing. I just need a little puff. It's all right for you to say tough it out. You're not in horrible pain like me and Grog are. Grog thought for a second that Crodis was going to attack Orifin. His orange eyes flared with rage, and his chest rose and fell in a great, shuddering breath. You don't. Crodus closed his eyes and bowed his head for a moment. Fine. He looked back and forth between Orifum and Grog, the fire in his eyes suddenly extinguished. Just a little bit. I don't want you slowing us down again. He turned and continued north across the slushy ground. Oh, he's got issues, that one. Terrien said, once Crodus was out of earshot. Good cook, though. The grog looked up from his weed pouches and pipe. Do you know anything about him? Terrien shrugged. Oh, not really. Broten seemed to know him quite well. I got the sense that he'd served in some sort of special secret unit before becoming a Kingsguard. Grog struck a match and held it above the chamber of the mahogany pipe that had been included with his peck. He'd barely gotten the chamber glowing before Orifum was at his side, looking at the pipe with eager eyes. It's mostly short belly leaf, Grog said, handing the pipe over. I don't want you stopping to investigate every snowflake. Crodus has one hatchet for each of us if we slow him down. They put their packs back on. Grog and Orifim both grunting with discomfort as they did so, and set off after Crodis. Terrian, did you want any? Grog asked, offering the pipe to the Kavina of War. She shook her head. No, thanks. I need to stay sharp. When this is all done, though, when the Faithbound come charging down from the mountaintops and help us massacre every last one of these accursed invaders, then... General Ironheart, we can sit in some tavern together and tell our tales to a merry crowd. Why drink you under the table? I like the sound of that, Grug said, grinning at Tyrion. But I'm telling you now that there's no way in the endless pit of darkness that you are drinking me under anything. We'll see. Grug was about to explain exactly how they would see, in a deep and desperate cry for help came bellowing across the frozen plain. It was Crawdis, repeatedly and ever more frantically roaring for help. But Grog couldn't see him. The enigmatic warrior had done the impossible and managed to disappear completely, despite the tundra being dead flat and virtually featureless for miles in every direction. Help! 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 The urgent shouts died suddenly, and Grog knew what had happened. He dropped the pipe, dumped his pack, and began sprinting towards the place where Crawdus had been only moments before. 
hoping against hope that he was not too late. My friends, my friends, it has been way too long. We have a special guest, Copper. That's right. Ethan Ryder is here in the building. We are going to chat about creativity and building community. We're going to talk about the kingdom itself. But without further ado, Copper, welcome to the 13 Realms podcast. What's going on? How are you? Really it's good, good to be here. It's good to be here. And I'm just excited to chat with you and talk about the kingdom today. Heck yeah, man. It's, it's super great to have you here with us today. I would say without a shadow of a doubt, if you go into the Discord and you chat with the kingdom, they all know who Copper is. You are a mover and shaker, and you've done so many cool events with the rest of the team. I would have to say, what was it about the kingdom in the very beginning that caught your attention? It's funny. I've just always been a little bit of a closet fantasy nerd. I've always loved Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and IPs of that nature and storylines. Star Wars and Marvel are also two big favorites of mine. And so I saw this next level of art compared to every other 2D that I'd seen at the time. And it really caught my eye. The art caught my eye. And then hopping into the community, it was really, there's friends there. I just don't know how else to explain it. The friendships there really just caught me and sucked me in. And being able to not only connect with our art-driven NFT followers, but also fantasy and lore followers as well. And then this whole NFT, new NFT space has just been, I've been learning things every day for a year now, just every single day, learning, learning, learning. It's been great. One thing that really stands out to me about the community, about what you do and your contribution is honestly what you're creating is an experience. It's not just something to enjoy. It's something to really experience as a world unto itself. Where do you come up with some of the ideas? Is that, do you get inspiration from certain other projects? Is it other things you've done in your past? But what, where do these ideas come from? And what are some have been some of your favorite ideas that you've done? Well, the events are always fun. I think, yeah, at the beginning, we had a ton of poker and Minecraft events. There's just been so many. We've had these story, these live story battles. We've GIF battles. The GIF mm -hmm. battle was one of my, one of our favorite, I think one of the kingdom's favorite events is we'd all get in there and battle out our dwarves with these GIF memes and quite a few good prizes there too. And people always get into that because they, you start to see people's personality come out, whether it's comedic or super like action-based it's really fun to see people interact with their doors i can't wait to see the future of people interacting with their doors in in the metaverse with net maybe even heavenland too on the soul blockchain but yeah. network is our partnership and they have a huge metaverse that's already opened up and we're trying to get one of our dwarves into mine runner so we have a little bit of that going on in the background and that's just i feel that's just going to bring those gamers of the community even closer because if we can start battling with that, that'd be really fun. As well as Mooner's Python-based text battling game that, that he's been working on for a few months now. And this just shows how close the community is. People on the team aren't, people that aren't even on the team are investing their time into the project and making, making the project worth more and have more fun with it and just all the interaction. One thing that's really cool about the community is that even though a lot of us don't even know what each other looks like, you and I have met in person a couple times, which has been great, but a lot of folks don't know who each other is, but we know so much about each other's lives, what's going on in the world. What has been some of your favorite experiences when you're looking at the community and are interacting with each other? My favorite times i always like to see people sharing basically just sharing their life with each other is my favorite thing i can't i'm trying to think of a specific event obviously when me and you got to hang out in san francisco and vegas those were those are highlights to be able to hang out with you face to face yeah. and, and i can't wait to see everybody that way hopefully mm -hmm. vegas in a couple of years maybe we'll be able to get all the doors together that would be pretty awesome yeah, don't call me con or something kingdom con baby heck yeah <laughs> that would be so fun oh my god i would love to see people like liquid and sicilian and rhythm and oh my god jiminy dude i, I can make that's the thing is i like to follow everybody in the kingdom and i 
we always say we don't DM first, but every once in a while, if I don't hear from somebody for a few months, I'll DM them and say, Hey man, just checking <laughs> in. You all good, bro. You got, you need anything? Yeah. Because that's what I feel like that's the true utility. The true utility of the kingdom is friendship, support, and beyond all the art and everything else. It's, it, yeah, there's so much involved. Yeah. I, that might be the name of the episode. Friendship, the true utility. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, that's cool, man. There's so many things that are still going on. I'm loving some of the previous stuff that Aloe's putting out there. We're, we're still moving towards this storytelling aspect. There's stuff still being written about the book. We're still pushing for this short movie. What are you hopeful for in the future when it comes to the story and people being able to experience what we experience in the Discord, but in a much more accessible way? Yeah, I think our end goal, like you said, is that it's like a Netflix series or a movie of some sort, because our team has worked at that level, that cinematic level for years now. And with the contacts and the expertise that they have, I don't see why we can't be on Netflix or Hulu or even in a, in a even in a motion picture theater. I think the IP behind it is something that people love to connect with, especially now that we have males and females, everybody can show their personality with it. And I literally just cannot wait to that first time I see a dwarf in Unreal on some sort of screen, just fighting somebody else is going to be, I'm going to pass out. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to pass out because it's just, I've invested so much of my creative energy and love for this project that I want nothing but success. Yeah, I want nothing but success for this whole project, too. Everyone has been along for this ride for well over a year at this point. And when you look at the things that have been created, the decision to do seasons, right? Because there's a lot of projects that were like one and done, right? We're going to put out 10,000 of these NFTs and we're going to call it and we're going to have this utility and people are trying to build utility around it to keep people invested in it. But the decision to really do it by seasons and say, we're just going to drip out different aspects of this world. We're going to drip out different dwarves. It, while it was genius on one end, I'm sure it was a heck of a lot of work on the other because you're really trying to craft like, okay, now we can't just all of a sudden get wacky with it and create like space dwarves, right? Because that would be way off brand. <laughs> but to introduce new and interesting characters and types of dwarves, I think has been incredible. And, the, and then even the female dwarves, you would think that in a, a, a seemingly male-driven society that the women would be an afterthought, when in fact they are the commodity in the kingdom because they are not only are they badass, they are great pieces of art, but they also have a very integral piece to the story. What has it been like for you, from your perspective about the introduction of the Kavina and all that? So here's the best part about the season drops is that we've had time to organically grow the community instead of having to pump money into these basically bot influencers and everything. So when people come into this community, it's never, you don't see a lot of flippers coming in here. And I think... One of the things that we listened to the most is people wanted a lady dwarf. That was not on our roadmap initially for the longest time. And over people that, what about a queen? What about lady dwarves? And so we literally paused the dwarf animation and rigging and all that. And we hopped right into these lady dwarves and we built a, basically a separate project within two months to like, not subsidize, to add on to this project. And People have gone insane with it. We were minting for Crown originally, which I'm sorry, let me back up. 10 out of the 75 of each season were minted with Crown, which you earn by staking your dwarves. And some of these Kavinas now are, what's the floor right now? The floor is 13 right now. And the next one's 25, 84, 95. We only have five Kavina on Magic Eden right now. That's crazy. Um, and with a volume, with a 225 supply, we have a volume of 640, which is pretty, pretty insane to me. I don't know what that number is, but it's like an average of three something per, which is pretty high on most accounts. And yeah. the dwarf's floor for has for 
as crazy as this market has been, we could have a whole nother podcast on that right now, but <laughs> we won't go, in, go into that. But FTX, SBF, what? Tagline stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sensationalism. Steezy, what? Oh, oh. Where's the crazy JPEG? No, but, uh, oh man, totally, totally went off the top. Totally went off there. The dwarf's floor has stayed pretty, pretty strong. Mm -hmm. We got all the way up to nine at one point and Seoul was, I want to say in the forties or fifties at that time as well with the market, it's dipped down a little bit, but we're still, we've always been above our floor. I don't think we've even come close to our floor in fact, and that just proves the diamond handedness of this community. I 1000% think that this community has made this project be where it is right now. Obviously the lore and the art is what keeps it going like the structure of it, but we just found like some of the coolest people in web three. You could have a podcast with 20 of the members in the kingdom of dwarves and they would all be awesome. It's just, I just haven't seen it anywhere else. Yeah, I haven't seen it anywhere else either. And I think we should talk a little bit about the state of crypto. But a lot of projects went dark. A lot of projects went under. But this project continues to push. It continues to stay. And in fact, it continues to build steam towards wherever this direction is really headed. What are you most excited about aside from Kingdom Con, which hopefully that'll become a real thing here in the next couple of years. But as far as the drops, as far as the community, what are some of the aspects that you're most looking forward to yourself? So in the next few months, we have quite a few things still coming up. We have the second half of our season full mint, which is the merchants. Ooh, and yeah. I have to tell you, I say this every season, but these are the absolute dopest, coolest dwarves you will ever <laughs> lay your eyes on. We have things building right now in the background with a couple of our artists. Aloe is still working on the animation short, which dude, ever think about 30 frames a second, five to seven minutes. He animates every single scene. So it takes a while. There's a lot of labor of love involved oh, yeah. in that. Um, Big time. But I can, I, I can tell you the one word that kingdom of doors needs to be known for is quality, quality, quality. We don't put out anything half-ass. Citrix and Aloe are the most detail-oriented people along with Psalm. And it's it's been fantastic to, to be part of the team. And yeah, what else do we have going on? I've been on the merch front lately. I'm trying to figure out a way to print out some books for us. Trying to get some t-shirts and some beer glasses going for us. You're talking about if Seoul, the state of the market, if Seoul kind of plummets and goes wherever it does, we're going to ride it out as long as we freaking can and then who says we can't go to a usd based sort of thing but the team has backups we don't want to go anywhere i love soul i think with everything that happened i'm surprised that soul is not at five six seven dollars already the fact that it's become an ecosystem more than just is fantastic i think that really proves its validity in blockchains and i just can't wait to see soul hundred X I'm not selling any, I'm just hanging out as long as I can. And hopefully we'll see that, that bear flip in a few years and we'll be going back to the moon. To the freaking moon, my brother, it is always a pleasure to chop it up with you. And that concludes another episode of the 13 realms podcast. We will be back very shortly with more chapters of the lore, more conversations, talking about the lore, the community, creativity in general. And with that, we will see everyone in the next episode. Are you ready for the next adventure in the kingdom? Season 4 Part 2 is coming, The Merchants. Copper token holders get a discount and VIP access on the Mint on February 25th at 2 p.m. Pacific time. Or you can purchase during the public Mint for full price on the 27th of February at 2 p.m. Pacific time if it makes it to the public Mint. No guarantees. Join the Discord for more details at the link in the show notes.